I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably be lost for words. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Lost Words Betting Podcast. I'm joined after his holiday, uh, Bradley Todd. Brad, hello. Good evening, Tom. Good to be back. How are you doing? I was going to say as always, and then I thought, well, you've actually been away for a week. You missed me one maybe a month ago or so. So like, I can't really say as always. Um, that, that gets yeah. a bit of a, a, an old joke in the end. Um, <laughs> we're also joined by Baz Plummer. Baz, hello. How are you doing, gents? Okay. Yeah, really good to have you on, Baz. Um, Baz, let's just do a little bit of an introduction to you. So obviously, I know you from when you used to do the National Club Golfer tips. Um, you did those before I did, and then. Uh, you also do, is it The Cut that you're writing for now? Yeah, so uh, writing for a website at the moment called The Cut Stuff. Um, it's uh, basically weekly briefings, updates on the big news stories across the professional tours. Um, and a few opinion pieces. We've got some really good writers on there. Georgie Bingham and Josh Antman from Sky and Toby Tarrant um, and a few others on there, which, uh, you know, it's a really, uh, it's a new, fresh sort of perspective on golf, I think, as we're, as we're moving forward. So it's a, a good opportunity for me at the moment. Yeah, it's really good because, like, obviously, I noticed you you do quite a lot on your Instagram now. You're doing a lot of videos of kind of yourself playing and, and things like that, which is always good to see. And it's one of those ones where it's probably quite nice to not just talk about betting. Like, I had this thought earlier of, like, I mean, I, had a, I was really fortunate that during kind of lockdown and things like that, we, we had a series of guests where we could do interviews. And I, and I think back to that sometimes of how much I used to enjoy that. And every week now I'm just doing golf betting. And I, and I love it. Like, I spend a week doing it for a reason. Like, I enjoy it. Um, but sometimes it is nice, I guess, Baz, to, to kind of talk about, you know, just current events and, and write some opinion pieces on that. Yeah, I mean, what a time to, uh, to yeah. get, get started on that at the moment. I mean, we we uh, I went on board with the cut stuff and then literally two or three days later, the whole live PGA merger thing came about, which is obviously very busy. Mm-hmm. And then we went straight into a couple of majors. And, you know, it's one of those where, you know, it was it, it was just a good time to get into it. It was sort of uh, baptism of fire, I suppose, a little bit. But. Um, you know, I've always, all, all the way through, I've always kept it up behind the scenes with the, with the betting stuff and obviously following, um, following your podcast and, and uh, you, you guys on Twitter, especially Tom and Brad, both of you. Um, and, uh, you know, it's one of those things that you, you always hold a little bit of a passion for, isn't it, in the background, throwing money away and trying yeah. to win some of it back. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Like, I don't think, like, in the day, like, the main reason I'm into golf very much started because when I turned 18, it was like the type of, uh, you know, sport that you can bet on, it'd be slightly more enjoyable than football because the odds were, you know, bigger and, you, you know, you always dream of landing that kind of triple digit winner and eventually realised I had a little bit of a knack for, for reading Mike Miller's sheets and picking out a winner and then eventually um, doing it the way we do it now. So it's funny how these things evolve and, um, yeah, it's just really nice. And, and as you say, Baz, it seems to be that, that the burning fire of, of golf betting is still there, which is which is why we've got you on tonight and uh, to kind of fit in for Jason as he takes a, a little bit of break until the Open. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's great. Yeah. So let, let's look um, at this week's events then. I suppose we could probably recap last week's slide. I know, Brad, you were obviously kind of mm-hmm. jet-setting around Kenya and, and getting over kind of things that you pick I managed, up I managed to see the clothes you did travelers yeah, obviously we were both from Reavy. we yeah, were a bit of an upsetting finish i mean uh, it's a shame he was there but bradley was too good and just yeah. took too long for Reavy to get going didn't it really yeah i mean i i didn't watch any of the bmw international open in the end because i had no one in the running on sunday and basically used yeah. and was trying to give it away and, and eventually did um but yeah Reavy was the one where you never feel like you should be disappointed with a 401 goal for placing no, 
Um, and if it, but it's just it's just like nagging the thing that if he'd done anything under par on the front nine. He really could have been in the mix. Like he put any pressure. We saw Bradley put his own pressure on. Yeah, he, exactly. Till that point, he'd never converted a 50-hole lead, Brad, had he? And no. and that kind of showed up on the back nine. Definitely. And as you said, like he just needed to get off to a good start, which he didn't, and it was just too much of a catch up. And Bradley <laughs> was flying. It was weird though. Like he, he hit like fairways and greens for the first few holes, and just never really quite got close enough and the putter wasn't really like he left himself too many like four or five footers coming back like he was pretty aggressive with his putter i thought um baz i don't know if you were watching the final round of the travelers and and whether you kind of picked up on what review was like but first few holes I actually felt quite calm it's just after kind of five six seven and bradley's making birdies it feels like it's getting away from you a bit i think i had the the complete reverse to you a little bit actually <laughs> because the, the, the travelers really wasn't i'm going to say something controversial here. i didn't like it i didn't like yeah. the travelers at all I, it was it's not my sort of event it was really really mm. low scoring wasn't it and it was a bit of a birdie fest and and, and yeah. like you i didn't have a, a horse in the race by the end of it so i sort of lost a little bit of interest but for me the i mean i watched a bit of the the bmw and you know i, I was really interested by i'm really mm. interested by, by Moronk and how he seems to week after week be in consideration and um, you know, and how that's helping his bid for the Ryder Cup. But the, the main one for me last week, that the most entertaining was the, the Women's PJ Championship. I was hooked yeah, on that all weekend. Yeah, 100%, and, uh, yeah. yeah. It was a bit of a shame for them, really. They had that kind of delay uh, during the final round because I feel like they probably would have, like, picked up a few more viewership. I think mm. once it's kind of, if they'd have kind of run through and, and finished just before kind of like the Travis Championship, I feel like they'd have got a little bit more viewership there. Mm. But it was, you know, it was brilliant. You know, Rose Zhang again kind of firing himself into contention. Obviously, the, you know, the winner and, you know, even Stephanie Meadow, like, topping, like, uh, your wood. Like, it's just, like, it had it all, really. And, um, yeah, like, it's one of those ones, like, I just feel like I can't watch every event as much as I'd like to. Like, it, you just sometimes just get, Brad, like, I, I know you cover, like, all the tours. Like, it's just so hard to, like, I tried to, I was off last week, so I tried to dabble in, like, challenge tour betting. And yeah. um, that, I won't go back to that for a little while. Um but yeah, it's there's, just, only, there's only so much you can watch at the end of the day because yeah. most of them are on at the same time. But yeah, I agree with Baz. Like the the women's was the uh, the pick of the bunch last week, and whatever happened at that break of play, I I, I loved it because I was I had Sasso and uh, Runing Yin, who um who were probably looking like they might place at some point, and then they suddenly after the break catch a bit of fire and they finish first and second. So yeah, I was all for the break. I didn't think I needed it at the time. But <laughs> it was uh yeah, it was needed. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, like the, the one last thing on the travelers, I guess, Baz and you know, this is be good for you as someone that sort of said they didn't particularly enjoy it. Like Rory McIlroy sort of came out and said, um, that basically the golf course is broken, can't deal with the modern age and he didn't really enjoy it, which is really funny because at the Bay Hill, he basically said that he didn't like making bogeys to win a tournament. So it was, it, it seems like he's almost con- like contradict. I feel like at the moment, Baz, with Rory, he's kind of talking so much, being asked so many questions that he's almost going to contradict himself and trip himself up at times. But I, I think the overriding point is that, that that course does struggle. And there's probably a couple of things they could do, but ultimately it is, it is a case that they can overpower it. Yeah, he, I mean, he's just, he comes across as frustrated at the moment, doesn't he? Yeah. I think there's just a number mm-hmm. of things, isn't there, that, are, you know, he's got, he's had a lot of pressure on him, hasn't he, for a long yes. time. And, and and while his performances have in, improved recently and he's he's in contention a lot, he's, he's not winning. And I think, you know, once that win comes and it clicks and, you know, if it's a major, then then even the better for him. But that when that when that win comes again and he starts to get back into it, I think, you know, we'll start to see a little bit more of the carefree McElroy that we might have seen a few years ago but yeah I mean with the travellers and, and the course and, and things it's not necessarily that I'm, I'm against you know that sort of that type of course and, and, and the, 
the way that sort of plays out on the PGA Tour. But I just I find it that if if your player, if, if more from a betting perspective, if you're on a player and uh, and someone like Bradley uh, and the, and the lads at the top are, are running away with it, and you've then by Saturday got to make up ten or twelve strokes, yeah. Well, my my guy's got no mm-hmm. chance now. So um, you know it's it's a little bit sort of off putting that way. Yeah, it's funny. Like I, I'm the same, Brad. Like if I don't have anyone in the running, I kind of I don't tune out because it, it's my kind of responsibility, I guess, to, to watch as much of the events as I can. But I do lose a slight bit of interest. And interesting, I think his name's Ray on Twitter. Like did ask a question earlier, like how much the viewership would go down if people weren't betting on golf. And I think it'd be mm. pretty significant because like I don't imagine many people would tune into the Rocket Mortgage this week if they weren't betting on a hundred to one shot or three hundred to one shot that's got a chance of winning on Sunday. That's true. Uh, as in, I, I just, I'd like, I'd hate to predict an actual number, like as in, like to guess an actual yeah. number. But uh, it had me thinking as well. Like, yeah, obviously, it's not the kind of event that grabs your attention from a viewing standpoint. But you need, you have to have someone sort of in the running to be, to be watching it really. To be honest, yeah, absolutely. Really you. Uh, one, one event that I don't think we particularly need to be forced to watch is the British Masters. I do like this time of year uh, for the DP World Tour. Uh, picks up events. It's been hosted this week uh, at the Brebison course at the Belfry by Sir Nick Faldo. Uh, plenty of history with this golf course. Obviously, multiple-time Ryder Cup venue. It's been the British Masters venue for the last couple of years. It's really found its home, hosted the UK Championship as well. So, ultimately, it's been a really good golf course over the years for the DP World Tour. Um, Baz, any kind of thoughts overriding on the course itself, what you were looking for in terms of player profile and how you think people are going to win? Yeah, I mean, I actually went to the event last year. Um, and one of the things that I will say is that, you know, it's, it's a fantastic venue. I mean, it's really well laid out. It's lots of, lots of challenge. We sat on the 10th uh, on, that, you know, a famous sort of the hill around the 10th and watched the players sort of do the risk and reward type sort yeah. of approach into that shot. And um, you know, it, it was a really enjoyable day, but I think that um, for me, one of the interesting things that I've found mainly actually through going down a bit of a wormhole of, of last year's winner um, with Torborn Yolison, uh, looking at his recent wins and, and, and his recent performances actually led me down a bit of a, a route to the Italian Open and the Thailand Classic. Um, and when I've looked at the leaderboards uh, for, for each event in comparison to some of the events uh, that have been held at the Belfry over the last few years, you've seen the same sort of names crop up quite a lot at the top of the leaderboard, um, which has actually informed a couple of my picks um, today. But I won't spoil the fun just yet until <laughs> we get to that point. But with the Italian Open, Baz, is it strictly from the Marco Simone like renewals, or does it go back to because obviously you mentioned Nollis, does it go back to kind of like 2018 when it was a slightly different golf course? Yeah, I mean more so the Marco Simone type uh, yeah. era of that now, but but yeah, obviously the the older stuff as well. There are there are some links and, and how tenuous that can be, obviously over different courses is is obviously arguable. But um, certainly looking at the the more recent years and uh, and the form bizarrely, and I can't work out why just yet. But the form in the Thailand Classic this year seems to look really, really similar to a lot of the stuff that's happened at the Belfry the last few years. So uh, maybe maybe check that out if anybody's uh, looking for a form link. We we always do these, Brad, don't we? We we have these kind yeah, of yeah. form lines, and and Jason loves to loves to do these where we try and you know compare a course from the middle of England to like Far East China or whatever, and <laughs> and somehow make a link. And we do it, and then that's we, the main thing, right? Um, there's something there. Sometimes like, there like something literally there. like last week I said about. Um, the BMW International Open potentially link into the Swiss Challenge, and I'm pretty sure the winner of last week 
uh, Thurston Lawrence had either won or played pretty well at Swiss Challenge. So um, it does happen. Like, it really does happen. And I'm hoping my one later on for the Rocket Mortgage uh, Classic comes to fruition. But let's mm. stick to the, the British Masters for now, Brad. We've got Justin Rose at 9 to 1, Min Mouli at 12 to 1, Adrian Ronk at 14 to 1, Jordan Smith at 18 to 1. We've both got a selection in this top range here. Uh, mm. I'll lead us off with Adrian Moronk, who Baz has obviously mentioned that he's been keeping a keen eye on for the Ryder Cup. And, and I certainly feel the same way. And I don't know necessarily that winning at the Belfry means that you should be on the Ryder Cup team just because it's been a Ryder Cup venue in the past. But I do think winning on these kind of classical tests and adding it to the fact that he's won where he's won um, over the years and the type of events that he does win, I think the, the collection of stuff that he would be doing I mean, I think if he wins anywhere from now until the Ryder Cup, he's going to get on anyway, Brad. But yeah, honestly, like, like I think he's done enough for me as it is to be on yeah. that team like, I, already. I guess the one thing at the moment is like if he suddenly, because you know, I feel like this was like he was very much in the Victor Perez mold, who looked like he was going to be a certainty in, and then just yeah. lost it at, at the final yeah. hurdle on points. I just wonder if Moronk needs just like a one more win or a, a nice finish at the Open or something like that just to really solidify mm-hmm. his place. I mean, this is a guy that's. Since July last year, won the Irish Open, the Australian Open, the Italian Open. Like he doesn't exactly. really need to do much else. Um, but I, I just oh. think Luke Donald will be looking here, Brad, at, at this and just thinking, yeah. you know. And strangely, you both mentioned in the chat earlier, like he's not here; he's actually playing um, over <laughs> the Rocket Mortgage, which is a bit of a strange um, sentiment. But I just think Moronk's got a massive flaw now on on the DP World Tour. Like he's one of those players that is splitting his time across two tours. Um, and and since he's been just on the DP World Tour this season, first, tenth, fourth, twenty-first, first, fifth, and third. Uh, mm-hmm. Third was coming last week. Just feels like he can't really play badly on at this level at the moment, um, which is based on the fact probably because he leads the tour in strokes gained total, strokes gained off the tee, and strokes gained tee screen, and he's third in greens leg regulation and thirteenth in strokes gained approach. Adding the fact that he's sixteenth around the green is pretty tidy as well. Interestingly enough, he is like hundredth in putting or whatever. Like he, he there is an element of weakness there as there is with most players. Um, but it doesn't seem to be holding him back, Brad. Maybe maybe it's the difference between him winning a couple of times more and, and actually just placing fourth or fifth. But, um, you know, he's got a third in his golf course two years ago, Brad, and, and I'm going to sit with him wrong mm-hmm. this week. Yeah, no, I love it. As you said, you alluded to his record on the, the DP World Tour. It's just a machine now on this at this level. And um, I reckon he's got that mindset, as much as I feel as though he's already on the team in my head, he he probably feels as though he needs another uh, top result, um, but yeah, I, you can't say anything bad about him at the moment. Even if he's got a bad putter, he makes up for it elsewhere. So yeah, he's he's a cracking player, and in, uh, he, I expect him to go well this week. Yeah, absolutely. Any any sort of final comments on Moronk before we move on, Baz? No, obviously, just as I said earlier on, I think he's um, I think he's he's. One each week that I look at and think, right, I'm going to back Moronk this week. And then I look at his price and I think, but, you know, there's just something there in the back of my mind that's just that's stopping me pulling the trigger on it. Um, so Moronk, for me, I, I would not be surprised one bit if he goes and absolutely storms this. Um, but I, I just, it's just not for me this week in terms of value. Is it, is it just, yeah, is it, I guess it's just the odds, right? But I, I just looked at it like with Rose at nine to one, Mimuli at 12 to one, both got a kind of, uh, you know, travel over from America, both, you know, consistently playing well across the world. Like, I feel like Moronk's just a little bit more settled. He was here last week or in Europe last week. Just It just feels like he's slightly better positioned and, and obviously played the course in recent years as well. So did like that. Um, Brad, your selection at the top of the market, Jordan Smith. Yes, uh, Jordan Smith. Took him at eight. Well, I got him at a 
a better price. It's the open 25s and yeah. 22s about. Honestly, I'm happy with 18s. Um, he's got to be on a serious high after finishing tied 20th at the US Open a couple of weeks ago. Closed with 66, propelled him up the leaderboard on the final day. Hit the ball extremely well to green, as he did at the European Open a couple of weeks before that. He particularly hit his irons like really well, sit for an approach. And uh, yeah, I'm just expecting him to come into this week with a bit more confidence after that result. Obviously, as we've been saying about the Ryder Cup, um, it's going to be tough for him, but uh, it's fast approaching. And I reckon a win here could put him back in the, the mix a little bit. Uh, narrow fairways, sharp dog legs and uh, small greens at the Brabazon course. So it sort of feels like a, a Smith course, even though on his two appearances here, he hasn't he hasn't done too bad. He's finished nineteenth uh, and twenty first. But yeah, there's a real emphasis on ball striking at this course, and as we know, Smith is a outstanding ball striker. I mean, based off his last two appearances, it looks like it's creeping back to its best. Um, I really liked the Golf National and Celtic Manor as the comps this week. Uh, obviously, they're two former Ryder Cup venues. Uh, normally reward the best ball strikers there's risk reward holes and just tough in general and um, there's also plenty of crossover on the leaderboards as well um smith has made four out of four cuts at the Le golf national uh best finish of seventh came last year played fairly well at celtic manor over the years 22nd 27 nothing great though um but he has a de- he has a decent record in the british masters um before it was uh moved to the belfry third yeah. and sixth uh, went at Walton Heath and Hillside. Um, and yeah, I like that. Um, he's obviously played the two British Masters at the Belfry, hasn't done that quite as well. But he hasn't finished worse than 35th in sixth appearances in this event. So it's an event he likes to perform well in. Um, yeah, I just think there's a lot to like. Uh, I've never really had much luck with Smith um, on a personal level. Uh, but he, he main, if he maintains his this like high level ball striking that he's shown in the last couple of weeks, just going to come down to whether he has an above average uh week with the putter because that is the problem yeah it's interesting with jordan smith because i would generally just write him off anything short of 20 to 1 because i don't think he can win um but the the kind of conversations i've had over the last couple of weeks with myself and people on the podcast is like this guy's 30 years old just because he's been around for i don't know 10 years almost i think he turned pro in like 2014 it it feels like he's not a winner because he's only got two DP World Tour events. But sometimes it just takes people like we saw it with like Richard Bland and, you know, we see it with people like Justin Waters haven't won. Like they get to their, their 40s and they haven't won. That's probably, and Mike Lorenzo Vera and people like that, that's people that you should probably say, okay, they can't win. And that's why they're triple digits. Jordan Smith has won twice. He won in 2017. Uh, he won in 2022. He lost a playoff in 2022 to... Pablo de Rafa as well. He's a two-time winner on a challenge tour. I think sometimes we just give up on these golfers. And I think this this 29 to 30-year-old range really struck me at the US Open because we were talking about, obviously, Wyndham Clark won it and people were discounting him quite early on in his career as a bit of a non-winner. Xander Schauffele and Cantley always get kind of thrown at them that they can't win a majors. And I think, they think well, they're only 29, 30. It's not that old. And I just cast my mind right back, I guess, Brad, to someone um, like Mickelson who didn't win a major until he was yeah. like, 34 whatever it was 
and and suddenly won six. Like sometimes I'm not saying Jordan Smith's going to go on and win a major, but this is a guy that's you know got two top twenties in major championships. Yeah. The U.S. Open I felt was a little bit out of nowhere. It was. If, if he'd have done it last year when he was in really good form, I'd understand it's his type of event. But the fact that he kind of done it this year was was a bit of a size. But I think what I'm trying to say here in a really waffly way um, is that we should probably not give up on people too early. Not at all. Like, I mean, I think mentalities, they develop over time when you're in the sport, you know, like he could just get a winning mentality after it if he just fires one or two um, within a short space of time. As you say, you can't write everyone off. Uh, he's obviously got a lot of talent. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see how it goes on this week. It's just like every sport, right? Like Baz, you're in a position, you've kind of worked in sport and these sort of things as well. Like, the psychology of just growing up like we see it with footballers like a footballer might not be very good at 18 20 when they come into the first team but at 25 they move league and they're suddenly a superstar and they get bought back for x amount of millions like it just takes a little bit of growing up in everything uh you know even in just normal life that why are we judging these golfers as if they're not you know just generally humans <laughs> yeah absolutely and, and actually i i had that moment the other day when i when i saw it might have actually been Wyndham clark and yeah uh, and he won and I, I thought to myself uh i actually thought he was um was a little bit older than than what he is, and then I realised he's actually younger than me. And I was like, well, actually, that's uh, that that's the eye-opening moment, isn't it? And thinking, well, yeah. you know, that's uh, he's he's not that old, and he's 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 you know he's obviously achieved something fantastic. And with Jordan Smith, for me, I think you know, he uh, and he's another one who could turn up and, and win this week. Um, his, his putter sometimes scares me a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but generally I, I like him as a player. I think he's he's got a, you know a potential wins in his future, and um, you know why not this week? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, back to Wyndham Clark just very quickly before we uh, move on, as we should. Like, this is a guy that actually had a lot of disruption in his early life. Like, he he moved colleges. I think he lost his mum uh, whilst he was uh, at Oklahoma State. And, like, these things must have a massive effect on people at 21, 22. And it's not a massive surprise it's taken until 29 to to win an event. And then he goes and wins an event and then wins a major. Like, these things can happen so quickly. And, you know, we've seen Pablo Larafabal win four times in the last two years. We've seen Richard Bland go on and contend multiple times after winning. Like sometimes it just takes a little bit. I know Larafabal obviously won earlier in his career as well, but like it takes time to kind of piece these things together and become a better player. And and I think absolutely Jordan Smith's a candidate for that. But enough of Jordan Smith because I'm not betting him, so I don't really know why I'm trying to back up um, his case. Um, Baz. <laughs> yeah. um, Baz, Yannick Paul is available at 40 to 1. Uh, which, if you'd have told me Yannick Paul was 40 to 1 six months ago, I would have bit your hand off because I've basically mm-hmm. told myself I was going to back him all year um, and haven't. I've gone slightly off of him, but he, he bounced back in good fashion the last time out. Yeah, he did. And, you know, I, I can totally understand where that concern comes from, actually, because when I was looking at his form earlier on, I realised that, you know, his, his last five starts, his final round has been 72 or worse. And that's yeah. sort of suggesting to me I'm a little bit worried that he's forgotten how to get it over the line yep. um, but you, you can't ignore you know some of his form of late four top six finishes in his last eight starts two runner-up finishes um third last time out obviously on, on home soil but um it, this is where the the slightly tenuous uh form <laughs> is starting to come into my my thinking here because 23rd at the italian open uh this year and 27th last year second in thailand um he's got a good course form at the belfry uh i think he's coming out somewhere between a 16th and a third um, in in his last two starts. And, you know, he's got, he's someone else who's definitely in consideration for for the Ryder Cup still, even though he's, he's sort of dropped off a little bit. And 
Um, he's got lots of good players like Moronk uh, and, and some of the others breathing down his neck. And, you know, this could be a really good opportunity to, to sort of reassert himself. Um, and at that price, I, I, I actually was uh, was listening to your, your argument about Pablo Larathbao last week yeah. and, and how you couldn't believe the price he was. And when I saw the price for Paul, even though he has had that sort of tricky few weeks, I, I also looked at that and thought that can't be right. Um, and when usually when I see that on a price, that's my indication mm. that you get on it very quickly before um, something changes. Yeah, like this is a guy I was betting at 22 to 1 not so long ago and feeling like that was good value. And I felt like he should have been closer to 16, 18 to 1. Like it, it very quickly changes in golf. But one other thing, he played in the 2021 British Challenge, which was also at the Belfry, but on the PGA National course. And he finished uh, third there, two shots behind Hugo Leone. He shot a final round 65, trying to get himself in that contention. And when you look at some of the players that play well there, Richard Mansell was 12. He's played well um at this event chase hannah was 15th he's played well at this event uh here on the um on the brabazon course and i think uh even a couple of the others in the top 10 there have, have, have played well so there is a certain amount of uh crossover nicholas norgard was 21st there maybe we'll talk about him shortly um just had one bad day in that british challenge so there, there's there's been a lot of crossover and that led me to believe that maybe i'll go with daniel hillier which i'll talk about a little bit later on but um, even like JC Ritchie, top 25 there and then play well here. So that, there could be some interest from that British challenge from 2021 as well. Uh, just to, you know, I'll keep strengthening both your cases rather than focusing on my own. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, appreciate uh, that. Yeah, that, any, that's what I'm looking at. Um, just going to say, is there any probably. concern about Yannick Paul and his injury? Obviously, he withdrew last week and I, I, I backed him last week and uh, he, I just saw his on an Instagram. Um, that he he hopes to be healthy and smiling soon, which kind of put me off this week because he said, I can't wait. I'll do everything to be back playing soon. So I just thought he was going to withdraw again this week. Um, but yeah, that's that's something that sort of uh, put me off. Other than that, I absolutely love Yannick Paul this week. I'm just a little bit concerned as I was on him last week that I checked out his Instagram and uh, obviously saw that he was um, he's been he suffered with an injury. So that was the one thing that sort of uh, put me off. And I wonder why that could be a reason why he's drifted to a, a nice price and it could pay off. Yeah, yeah I, absolutely. I, Sorry, Thomas. No, I was, was yeah. going to say, I think it's one of those ones, Baz, and you know, I'll let you answer this because it's obviously your player. But in my head, like if he's, you've got two chances he'll either pull out before the event, you'll get your stakes back anyway, or he's going to be no. good to go, I think. Yeah, I mean, like you said, there are those two options, and and if if it's a uh, if it's a um I start and then withdraw, then he'll go on my bad list forever, and I'll never speak to him again. <laughs> I hate that. That's nothing worse. <laughs> yeah, they go and shoot eighty-one in the first round, and then he pulls out going, oh, "I'm a bad back," and it's like, well, you you could have just not started. But um, we, we'll see. I think there is a little bit of concern, but he's also, I think it's one of those ones that I was concerned about, like Morikawa. Uh, travelers and and suddenly they're they're fine so um yeah. i think these these kind of younger golfers maybe if, if a you know 45 year old uh dp world tour stalwart has, has hurt their back they would be slightly more concerned but um coming on to someone of that nature uh richie ramsey for me at 50 to 1 he was the first person i wrote down uh legitimately the first person i wrote down sunday night uh, when i was doing my research just think he's finding form at the right time. Like he was seventh at Sadao, which nice little tight track to kind of correlate with this. He was fifth going into Sunday there. He was 39th at the KLM, but he was actually eighth at the halfway stage. And then he finished fifth at the Scandinavian mix last time out as well. 
then you look at his two years here, he was 43rd on the, the first start, but he was actually 16th for the halfway. And then I'm sure people remember that he was actually one shot up going on to the 18th and found the water, left Sebastian Soderberg leading in the clubhouse. Uh, and then Ollison finished Eagle Birdie to knock them both out anyway. So um, just that, that kind of fresh memory from um, Ramsey of just playing really well here. He loves playing in the UK in general, which obviously makes sense being a Scottish golfer. And uh, he just strikes me as the type of person now that, that spots starts, picks his starts. I mean, when I spoke to him on the podcast a couple of years ago, like he, he did genuinely wonder how long he had left um, until he kind of started contending again. He won that Kazoo Classic. Um, I think there was kind of genuine concerns that he, he was kind of had enough. I'm not even concerns, like he was just happy to hang it up type thing. Um, and all of a sudden, it just feels like he's revitalised. He's got that win uh, last year, I think it was at Hillside. And, you know, it, it just strikes me that, that he's going to come back and, and play well. He's in good form. He's one of the better ball strikes in the field over the last few weeks. Scrambling's really good. Uh, so I, I don't see any reason why not to stick with uh, Richie Ramsey again this week. He should have won. Yeah, he should have won. Yeah, he should. That's, you know, the the kind of concern with Ramsey. Although he has won multiple times, there's still this kind of knock that he should win more. But, um, you know, the discussion we've just had, I know it's it's slightly different because he is 40 years old. Um, It's just really hard to win. And sometimes it, I think, I think the thing is with like winning is like, it comes around maybe two or three times a year that you've got a really good chance if you're a good golfer. And you've got to take it once and you know it's not easy to do i guess and we just get frustrated because we're golf betters that let us down but i think imagine how they probably feel trying to come down the back nine and and take advantage of what they probably think is only their one chance of the season so um definitely lots to think about transitioning into another scott brad uh callum hill i must admit was Mm -hmm. very close to my mind um and one I think he's certainly an improver going forward. Oh, like Ramsey, he was actually the first name down for me. Um, yeah. Obviously, he's been out of action for nearly a year uh, from nerve-related issues. I read that it was uh, due to an insect bite. Yeah. Absolutely, just so unlucky. Um, but yeah, he's struggled to regain any consistency with his game since then. Um, he's missed plenty of cuts, um, but played exceptionally well in Japan. He finished third, and but since then he hasn't been able to do anything he missed four cuts in a row until last week where he finished 10th and he hit the ball superbly he ranked third in total driving seventh in ball striking and was just solid across the board he gained strokes off the tee on approach around the green and with the putter it's sort of a performance that stops the rot and something to build on coming to a course that clearly suits his eye um, he's played twice at the Brabazon course, um, this event, and he's finished tied ninth and tied eighth. I think one was at the British Masters, one was at the UK Championship. Um, but yeah, still brilliant record. And he's also finished eighth at Celtic Manor in the past, which I said earlier. I like that. And it really bolsters his claim. So yeah, stood out for me. Um, I really like his chances this week. Yeah, and just another one, Brad, like this, this conversation I had earlier about players. And then this tree, it's funny what makes you like think about it. But DP World Tour basically tweeted out in the final round uh, last week in Germany that like Daniel Hillier was looking for his first win in his 28th start or whatever it was. And it made me mm. think like, well, I've been hearing Daniel Hillier's name for four or five years now. And it's, yeah. it really shocks me that he's only played 30 events. And then when you look at someone like Callum Hill, he only turned professional in 2017. He only really started playing DP World Tour stuff in 2019. So mm. he wouldn't have made many starts. I mean... I, I, 66 tournaments he's played 
um, on the DP World Tour, and that's probably a couple of co-sanctioned events um, as well. So he's played double the amount of someone like a Hillier, but it's been interrupted. Like I think people forget how like yeah. disruptive COVID was. Like he's a player that was coming out. So he won it. He won in 2018 at Galgorm uh, on the Challenge Tour, which was his fifth start. He won twice in 2019 on the Challenge Tour. Then COVID happens, and then he wins in 2021. And you just assume he's going to go on and be this really good player. Then he gets mm-hmm. an insect bite and nerve damage. I think once you see these people kind of come back and just show a little bit of life straight away, you you do just kind of have to jump on. So as much as people will look at him and go, oh, it's 50 to 1, and you know he's only played one good event recently, This is mm-hmm. you've got to look at the overall bank of form. And he's, he's been ninth and eighth on his golf course, including the UK Championship. And he was the third six-hole leader in 2021. So um, absolutely like Callum Hill. Um, good shout there. Two Scotsmans back-to-back. Baz. Uh, Nicholas Norgard Moller, whose name always, I, I don't know if he's changed it to Nicholas Norgard <laughs> or whether he's, he still is a Moller. Um, I just think the bookies get it wrong. It's well, weak and they just. But, but he was like in like some of the kind of sport apps now, he's just Norgard. And I just wonder if he's like, he's done a Matthew Fitzpatrick and just changed to Matt. Um, but anyway, Baz, why are we picking, that's more importantly, why are we picking Nicholas Norgard Moller? Yeah, let's just stick, yeah, let's stick with, uh, with, with Nicholas Norgard. And then if we get it wrong, I'm sure someone will correct us. Um, I mean, this is a bit of a left field one for me. Um, he's not a golfer that I've typically followed a lot um, so far in his career, but um, I know it's a little bit around uh, length off the tee being a, a potential um, benefit at, at the Belfry for, for this course. And uh, he's, he's a long a long ball striker, fourth in driving distance in the field uh, off the tee, mm-hmm. uh, six for strokes gained off the tee. Um, he's, he's been okay recently, a couple of decent finishes, 21st in Scandinavia, 21st at the KLM. Um, he, he, he tends to potentially start fast as well. Um, he's yeah. had a 65 and a 66 first round score in his last eight starts. And then um, we go down the, uh, the rabbit hole again, 23rd at the Italian Open, 13th in Thailand. Um, also a little bit of correlating form with the Alfred Dunhill links, uh, and he was seventh there as well. So... Um, it was more his form for me sort of um, matched up with my rationale and uh, that was why I've sort of um, taken a, a bit of a speculative punt on him despite the fact that even though when he's when he's played recently I mean last week he had a 68 and a 69 on the Thursday and the Saturday but sandwiched it with two horrible rounds mainly because of the putter but his putting is typically okay because he ranks 31st for straight game putting over the last sort of three or six months. So I think that, you know, if it goes right for him at a course where um, where the, the form links, if I've got them right, tends to suggest that he might play well, then I think he might be a decent value pick each way. I think, again, there's another one, Norgon Muller, like don't give up on him too like soon. Like he's, he's very green, he's very young. He has an obvious skill set, which is to hit it a mile and putt streakly which is the Wyndham Clark mould at a slightly lesser extent it's the Wilco 9 Aber mould on the DP World Tour is probably his closest kind of rationale my one concern with him is he's like he's won on the Nordic Golf League and he's never really won on the Challenge Tour but I don't remember how long he actually spent on the Challenge Tour if he was only on there for one season and had like three top fives and a couple of top tens like or four top fives and then suddenly uh, is promoted as a DP World Tour then he didn't have much time to kind of figure it out so um Again, I just kind of mentioned there that he played pretty well at the British Challenge at the um, other course at Belfry. Uh, it was just a 74 on Saturday that really you know, ruined his chances, but he wasn't far outside the top 10 in the end. So could be a really good golf course for him. He's going to be one of those typical ones where 
the discussion of can a player overpower the golf course is probably going to come in because that will be how he tries to do it, I'd assume. Um, and if he can, then great. If he doesn't, then um, he may come unstuck. But I think that's pretty much safe to say about anybody that we kind of talk about. Like, no one's exempt from making stupid decisions on the golf course. Um, so why would we kind of hold that against him? Um, so, yeah, Nicholas Norgard Muller there for you. Who's up next? Let's just double check these kind of prices just to see where the movement has been. Baz, we'll come to you again because um, I've kind of skipped him in his range. Maximilian Kiefer uh, at 50 to 1 uh, is another pick for you this week. Yeah, he's another another one who's been playing uh, relatively good golf and um, one that sort of caught my eye when I was having a look at his recent form, you know, third last week, second, a couple of starts before that. He's had he's had three top five finishes in his last six starts, which, um, you know, is, is good form by any measure. Uh, he's, he's not really got any, well, he hasn't got any good course form. He's had a missed cut, um, but that has not really put me off very much. Uh, he's fifth in Italy. Um, he, he, obviously, the, the last few weeks, you, you've got to factor in that the home advantage of playing golf um, in Germany twice may have skewed the form slightly, um, but you've still got to go out there and do it. And, and I think actually when you look at his, his data, second in driving accuracy, eight for straight gain total, 13 for straight gains, tee to green in the field. Um, it's just these driving distance that might be a little bit of a, a concern for me because he doesn't hit the ball a very long way. And by the complete contrast of what I just said about Norgard, if if that is the the winning formula, then uh, you know he hasn't quite got that. But I think there, like you said, there are many different ways to win a golf tournament. And um, at that price, if he can carry on his recent form, you know, even even at each way value, it's uh, it looks a good a good one for me. So I think there's a couple of players this season that have really relished the fact that the DP World Tour is a little bit weaker. Um, the, the guys at the top are still the guys at the top, like the Yannick Pools were playing well last year, Moronks, McIntyre's, etc. cetera, um, at the top there. But like, for me, it was like Alexander Bjork and Maximilian Kiefer, who you really noticed sort of raised the kind of floor of their performances based, I think, on the lack of depth in some of these tournaments now. And, once you start piecing together those tournaments, no matter how it happens, whether it's because the fields are weaker or because you're just in good form, it breeds confidence. And suddenly, even if these sort of stronger fields come in and you've got the Justin Rose and the Minwoo Lees, if you're playing well, you're playing well. And I think that Kiefer can overcome kind of poor course form with by the fact he's three top fives in his last six starts. So um, do like Kiefer there completely. Um, Brad. Guido Migliozzi, who opened up, by the way, at 100 to 1. No, um, he did, yeah, missed the uh, hundreds. It, it, ridiculous. Like, 100 to 1. Much disrespect. <laughs> I was well in. Like, and then it becomes 66 to 1 and 71. It's still I, a, it's I still still a question. Think 66 is fine. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, put, I put 60 as my floor. Yeah. Um, so I, I think 66 is, uh, yeah, I think that's it's just, just about right. Um, yeah, three-time winner. It's been completely out of sorts this year. Um, as soon as people started talking about him being a contender to make the Ryder, uh, Ryder Cup team, his bum sort of went boo. Yeah. But, um, his, his game started to decline well, after he won the French Open. And um, But we know what he's capable of doing. Uh, when he's in full flow, he's confident, has all the shots. He's a delight to watch. Um, he showed some signs of life last week, which is why I'm betting him. Uh, after a slow start, he fired two rounds of 69 over the weekend to finish 10th at the BMW International Open. Uh, similar to Callum Hill, it was just a really solid performance um, all round. 
he gained strokes across the board, uh, 12th in total driving, 14th in ball striking, tons better than it has been in recent weeks. I just think it would do wonders for his confidence coming into this event. Obviously, he's come close to winning this event uh, on his debut back in 2021. He lost in a playoff to Richard Bland. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a good course for him. He, he missed the cut the following year, but this is the type of course Guido is after. Uh, the win at the Gulf National last year backs this up. Like, as I've already said, I really like that course of the comp. Both courses reward um, his aggressive yet kind of precision play. And uh, yeah, absolute must have on the betting cards this week at the prices, I'd say. Um, I just think the upside is just too big to ignore. I think he's his best when he's creative. Like I, I just look at Migliozzi and I think he gets bored of these kind of flat track mm-hmm. type tournaments. Whereas when he can, I just I just think back to like uh, the Abu Dhabi Championship earlier in the season at Yaz Links and just watching him flight shots in. Oh yeah, like every shots. Yeah, every it. time he's got to think about it. And that final shot when he won the French uh, event Open to France. Like he was that that final iron play was just tremendous. And mm-hmm. you know this is a player that has been slightly out of sorts, but it's also a player that when we say out of sorts, his last kind of six starts have included the 23rd and the 14th. The 23rd, he was ninth going into the final round off the back of a 64 on Saturday. And then Probably he finished for his standards. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, again, like we're, we're, we're looking at it going, oh, he's bad. So he's not playing very well. And it's because we're so used to Guido being this kind of winner and, and just a really bright young talent. There was kind of rumours that he was going to live. I think his partner works for live. I don't know if that had anything to do with I've it. I've never heard of that. Maybe he's gonna, this was this was from Sky, who listens to the Shotgun Starter. Loves, um, Guido Migliozzi. Like, yeah. He'll be I on think, this week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, it was it was just one of those ones where it kind of makes sense. Like, in the midst of all this going on, maybe that is what... I, sometimes you're just playing badly. Like, so we try and find excuses mm-hmm. for people we like. Maybe you're just playing badly, but that could it have could been... It could be a Ryder Cup. It could well it be could that be. was on his mind yeah, as well. Like, yeah, like, absolutely. You know, want to play a Ryder Cup in Italy. Again, how many chances are you going to get to that in your career playing in front of your home fans? So, um, definitely multiple things there. But overall, great player. Proven that he can play his golf course and still a decent enough price. Mm-hmm. Coming on to two players now who I've probably said, I mean, I've already said one can't win on this podcast to, today, even. Um, but I'll come on to the first one who I generally get kind of frustrated at and don't think he's necessarily the the kind of guarantee winner that people do. But Matthew Jordan's 80 to 1. Now, he has got this kind of issue in contention. He hasn't really been able to pull the trigger uh, and really look at his best in the final round. But this is a guy that's generally played pretty well in the UK. Again, it's been, you know, majority of the time on links. His best events in British Masters have been at Hillside and, and Walls and Heath. He's played well in the, the Dunhill links, obviously. But again, just coming back to the earlier conversation, 27 years old, that there's so much ahead of him to kind of figure yeah. out. And his ball striking is just superb right now. Like his, his performances just match, just mirror the fact that his tees green games picked up. He's been 16th, 22nd and 9th his past three starts. And that you know, coincides with being 23rd, 18th and 4th in straight game to screen. So I loved that. I loved the fact that he was 4th at the 36th hole stage at this course at the 2020 UK Championship. He's been mm-hmm. 15th and 17th in this event before, albeit, like I said, at different golf courses. It feels like Matthew Jordan's going to break through in the UK or something like the Portugal Masters where he came close last time because it's like a UK resort, if you like. He, he feels like one of those home comfort players Definitely, I think yeah. he likes a tough test. I think, Brad, if I remember rightly, he was in contention 
in Kenya earlier in the year, which is obviously a tight golf course as he well. Uh, yeah, final that, round, 73. Yeah, like that's where I looked at him and thought, oh, you know, you, you're not really a winner. Now I've kind of changed his mindset over the last yeah. few weeks of like, actually, let's give him a little bit more time. Like, because all of a sudden Matthew Jordan wins twice this season and he's a prolific winner at the age of 27. Like it changes so quickly. Um, I don't think he's going to win two times this season, but if he wins once this week, then great. Um, 80 to one, I'm going to take that price uh, and, and hope for the best. And then I had a couple of others. I, I looked at Neen Arbor after a discussion with um, Sky yesterday on the Pat Mayo show. Um, he looks good. Um, but the one that, I'm going to and, and generally typically seems to be a bit of a non-winner on the on the DP World Tour is Justin Walters, um, 100 to 17 places. Just can't get over the fact that he's been second and third at this golf course in three starts. Um, that's just it. Just seems to be he looks at the, the calendar each year, circles this golf course in recent years. He was you know cruelly second to Rasmus Hoygaard at the UK Championship. He led all the way along. You can tell he was struggling on the final day. Clearly nervous and. Hoygaard still had to shoot at 65 to even get in that playoff and beat him. Um, so you had that. Then he was third last year. Off, you know, He was dealing with an injury last year when he finished third as well. So I was really impressed with that. He's made six straight cuts. And he actually shot a 68 in the second round of the Japan Championship to just miss what would have made it at eight straight cuts. So really impressed with his current form. And then you look at it deeper. He was 20th at the halfway mark at the Italian Open and 25th going into the final round. So Baz, maybe that points into kind of what you spoke about earlier. When he was 39th at the European Open, he was 12th going into the final round and he was 21st at Scandinavian Mix and 5th at the halfway stage. And then just last week, he finished uh, tied 26th, one shot shy of the top 20. Uh, and when a lot of people were going backwards on Sunday, he actually shot level par. Uh, you obviously want someone that's going to shoot two or three under. That's kind of the people that separate themselves. But the fact that he wasn't kind of going backwards like others had um, really stuck out to me. So I like Justin Waters a lot, uh, 100 to 1. Definitely would love to see him win. Uh, feels like he's a player. If any of mine don't win, I'd love to see it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. He's so deserving of a win. Yeah, completely agree. And then a couple of people that I had that were like 200 and 300 to 1 earlier in the week and now come in uh, a lot. Uh, Jamie Donaldson, who Ben put up. Uh, I wrote him down for the top 20. Brad, I spoke to you yesterday morning oh, about it. Me. Like, he led the field in approach last week, even though he had a really poor final round with his irons. And he was 18th for T3 and overall. Loves playing in the UK. Finished 8th here 12 months ago. I still think back to the, I think it was 2021 Wentworth when he could have made an eagle on the last to win and he just missed it. Um, so he's, he's still got a little bit about him. Um, I still think, you know, you've seen Richard Bland win here in recent years. I, I think it's the type of golf course that allows the kind of veteran players to come through. And then the other one was uh, Darius Van Drill, who just isn't quite good enough value for a win. But um, 25th and 8th in strokes going tee screen and 12th and 44th in strokes can approach his last two starts. He's made the cut every year on this golf course, um, played really well at the UK Championship. Uh, I think he was 11th there that week in 2020. And then he's been 57th and 57th in the, the actual British Masters. But just looks to be a little bit of an improver this season, Van Drill. People just kind of finding their feet, 22nd, 21st and 12th amongst his uh, last five starts. So really impressive what he did last week. T-screen game looks good. Wouldn't be surprised if him or Donaldson kind of chimed in with a top 20 this week. Mm-hmm. Um, other ones, JC Ritchie kind of caught my eye based on what he done last year. He was like a massive 250 to one. Again, spoke to you about that earlier in the day, Brad, and, and didn't kind of come to fruition because he, he shortened up pretty quickly. But other than that, I, I'm pretty happy with 
the, the kind of four or five that I gave at the top of the show. Any closing comments, Baz, on the British Masters before we move on? Yeah, I mean, again, similar to you, there are, there are a couple of um, players who stuck out to me at the sort of uh, higher prices, which didn't quite make my betting card this week. But Sebastian Soderberg, decent yeah. price, obviously played yeah. well last year. He's got some form across the other courses that I mentioned. And Fabrizio Zanotti as well played well last year. If he yeah. was in better form coming into this, I think he'd have made a, a, a quite a decent claim to have made it for me this week because I remember watching him last year on the course and, and he was absolutely phenomenal. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. It's about timing as well, isn't it? If, if that player is coming into to this event in form, then, then maybe it's a bit more appealing, but that's probably why he's like, at 80 to 1. So um, yeah. that's it for me. I'm happy with mine, and uh, and we'll, we'll see in a few days' time whether there is any link between the Midlands and <laughs> Italy and Thailand. If, if, it, if there's a link between the Midlands and Thailand, I will absolutely love it, and we'll all just look a holiday to the Thailand Classic. Um <laughs> Yeah, love it. Brad, any final comments on the British Masters or happy to move on? Uh, I'm, uh, no, I'm just a little one. Just uh, yeah. I quite liked uh, Mikael Lindbergh, who had a yeah. really strong finish last year on the Challenge Tour to get his card, which included a fourth place at the English Trophy at Frilford Heath, which I don't think is too much of a bad comp for this one. Um, obviously, he had a really good tournament. He struggled since like, coming to this level, um, but he had a good tournament last week, finished tied 18, close for 68, and uh, he hit the ball superbly. Like, well, approach was off, approach game was off, but um, yeah, he was ranked 23rd, tee to green, uh, sixth in driving distance and sixth in driving accuracy, which is uh, some going. So yeah, he's someone that interests me. Um, he's like 500, 600 to one, probably get a thousands on the exchange, probably won't win it. But I think top 20 at 12 to one could be could be a good bet. I'm trying to think if Lindbergh was, I had a couple of rogue first round leader shouts um, at the KLM, I think. And I, I feel like he might have been one of them. Um, I can't, I'd have to go back. I, I don't, I don't. It was, it won a bad shout, he finished yeah, 12th. I, I, I think it was him and like a, a German player that had been playing really well in the Challenge Tour or something. It probably wasn't Lindbergh, it was probably someone else. But like, it just feels like these players are, are coming out of nowhere um, and, and just performing well. And I think it's because of the slight lack of depth uh, on the tour. Yeah. So, um, happy it's with the best that. He's hit it. It's the best he's hit it since um, since coming up to the DP World Tour. So, that's the only thing that sort of, sort of peaks. My, my interest as such yeah know. absolutely right let's move on to the, the rocket mortgage classic then let's pick up pick up the place slightly um not yep. as not as an in-depth tournament i guess as as the british masters for us i think we quite enjoyed talking about that one um colin morikawa tony finau ricky fowler all 14 to 1 max homer hideki matsuyama justin thomas 18 to 1 uh and jiyong kim and sung uh sung jm are both 20 to 1 their best prices I think the market kind of tells you what you need to know about this event. Like no one's really sure um, who's the best one at the top. I think it's probably Ricky Fowler based on the, the kind mm. of consistency so far, but I can't look at a player that hasn't won since 2019 and back them at 14 to one. Um, if he wins, he wins at 14s. I'll, I, I'm happy yeah. to miss it and just be happy for him. Um, but Brad, let's, we're, we're both on the same player here. Uh, 18 to 1. Let, let's talk about Hideki Matsuyama before we come on to Baz's pick in, in this range. Yeah, so I've, I've been backing him quite a bit. So I'm, I backed him last week. Not um, not last week. The week. Yeah, well, I was on him last week. I was also on him um, the US Open. 
Yeah. And yeah, just sticking with him really. I've been backing quite a lot, and I, I just feel like as though his injury issues are up behind him. He's been playing consistently well for some time now, without sort of truly contending. Um, hasn't missed a cut since the Arnold Palmer Invitational back in early March, hitting his irons ridiculously well. Uh, gained at least two strokes on approach in his last nine starts. He's just been struggling for consistency with the flex stick, but he found some joy in his final round at the Travellers last week. He gained 1.45 strokes putting, um, ranked 11th in the field. So that's encouraging. And he's done, he's been, he's done all right at the Detroit Golf Club. He's played here a few times. He's had a couple of decent results. 13th back in 2019, 20th in 2020. And look, this event's going to be a birdie fest. Um, Decky has shown he can compete in these, even though primarily you wouldn't really put him down as a person target in these kind of events. But he has. He's, he's, he's won the Sony Open at uh, 23 under. And, yeah, I just feel like Detroit's a good spot for him. And with, with how he's playing at the moment, it's very consistent. This level of field, just a win looks imminent. So, yeah, got to be on Decky this week. Yeah, two wins at 23 under, Sony Open and the WGC two. Champions. He's got the... Yeah. Phoenix Open 17 under, he's got the Zozo 15 under, which I think, you know, you're going to have to go 25, 26. And the obvious concern is he's not going to make the putts, right? But this is the player for the last 15 weeks who's led the field in both strokes going approach and strokes going tee screen. I mean, you've got a field with Fowler, Finau, Morikawa, Thomas in it. Um, I think that stands out. And like you say, nine straight cuts since the fifth of the players. Outside of the majors, four straight top 25s. I just think the drop down in class is going to be really noticeable for Matsy Armour. And, and what I liked is, is like you mentioned, he's, he's played here a couple of times before. And for some reason, he wanted to play it in 2019 and 2020, which mm-hmm. some other people wouldn't have bothered. So there's obviously something that he likes about it. Uh, he was ninth going into the final round 2019. He was 21st uh, the year after, shot 65 on Saturday, and then he withdrew. So we don't necessarily know what his uh, ceiling is for this yet. It is just going to come down to the flat stick, and, and I'm happy to take a chance on a world-class talent uh, in this kind of field. Baz, Max Homer, who I must admit, I gave a little bit of a glance to because it just feels like he's another one that will relish getting away from those majors for a couple of weeks and just playing the golf and the level that he's used to playing. So interested to hear your thoughts on him. Yeah, I don't think he played that badly um, in the, the US Open. And um, I know that his, his recent form isn't isn't probably what he'd have wanted and definitely um, not what I'd have, have liked in, in terms of making it really a confident pick. But out of the, the ones at the top in terms of the value, I just thought that his, um, his form in on courses of a similar sort of style and design uh, is really interesting. He seems to play well um, at Donald Ross courses. Uh, he's, he's got some decent stats over the course of the last 12 months. He's been really consistent across all areas of the game. Strokes gained total fourth ranked, um, particularly good with a putter, but mainly the fact that he he, sim- he seems to balance distance and accuracy really well with his driver. Um, and uh, I think that's going to be really important this week. Uh, it, this this one for me, especially like you said, with the, the British Masters and the Rocket Mortgage, the British Masters, I felt a bit more confident in the in the data behind my picks. And, and with yeah. the Rocket Mortgage, these ones felt a little bit more to me, like a bit more of a field pick um, and, and Homer just stood out to me and, and you know, when that happens, I think it's uh, important that you sort of follow your gut with it because I'll be gutted if it got to Sunday yeah. and I hadn't gone with him and he, and he went and won. So, no, I, I completely agree. Like, I, I spent all day yesterday outside of work, all day Sunday, staring at a screen, wondering what I'm going to do with the Rocket Mortgage Classic. 
and I even I even messaged you earlier with picks that were built in addition to what I put on, and I've already gone off one of those because of the odds. And it it just for me is an event where you do just have to go cut field. I think that there's there's course correlation I'm going to talk about that I do like um, when I come to one of the other picks, but I don't, I don't know. It, ultimately, it's a birdie fest where whoever has the, the warmest putter and, and can stick their approaches is going to do well. And and the two guys that we've mentioned so far, I think, are both capable of doing that. They're certainly going to give themselves opportunities, and it's just going to be whether those make those putts. I mean, to to kind of give a little bit more substance to Max Homer, I guess, like the three of open, he was tied third there, and there's been certainly some crossover with that event. Having Fina having won it the week before winning here, and um, I think Bryson and, and Matthew Wolf going one two there, and then one two here as well. So. Certainly some crossover from the free and open quite like that. And ultimately, this is a guy that's just won a lot recently and that's important as anything. So, um, yeah, can't argue with Max Homer at all. I did want to go with Tom Kim. I, I just... I don't know if I've missed the boat a little bit with price. And I know that's a silly thing to say when we're at an event where, you know, the odds are going to be shorter on these kind of elite players. The main reason I liked him was a couple of places that he's played really well. And that's the Wyndham Championship, which he's obviously won at. Um, and I'm pretty sure he played one at the Texas Open earlier in the year. And to explain my kind of Texas Open thing, it's going to take a little bit. And I'd almost just implore you to just go and listen to me uh, read out in full on the DraftKings show yesterday rather than me uh, repeat myself. But basically, if you look at the kind of four times that this horse has been here, there's just been a lot of crossover to Texas Open. I really noticed it um, from the fact that um, it wasn't Tom Kim. It was, this is a completely pointless segment because it wasn't Tom Kim that played well at the Texas Open. So it's the Wyndham Championship that he won. He hadn't played well at the Texas Open. That might have been what led me to not go with him in the end. Um, he hasn't even played it. But there's a lot of crossover that Texas Open because you look at last year's leaderboard, you had Matt Wallace, Charlie Hoffman, JJ Spawn all in the top 10. And JJ Spawn and Charlie Hoffman have won the Texas Open. Uh, Matt Wallace was third behind Jordan Spieth. And then you look at players that have top fives at both this event and the Texas and the Texas Open. It's like names like Ryan Armour, Brian Stewart, Wacky Neiman, just people that haven't got a bunch of course form everywhere else. Um, so it kind of stood out to me. So I'm not going with Tom Kim. There was a long way around with going it, but I think he's the type of player that that can succeed in these kind of birdie fest things. Um, and I would just go back and listen to the kind of Texas Open or look at what I've written down elsewhere as to why, because that would just be a really long explanation in an already long podcast otherwise. Um, next pick that I'm definitely going to go for, uh, Byung Hanan. I just, again, it, same with Hideki, you, you're going to worry that can he make enough putts? And that is ultimately what's holding bet his whole career, Brad, if, if you like. And mm-hmm. there's not really much you can say about that. I can't sit here and say he's going to be great with a flat stick because I don't know. I just think that he potentially can be. Um, and look, in four of his last seven starts, he's been inside the top 10 in strokes getting tee to green. He's been fourth on three of those occasions in that statistic. He's also been eighth and 20th in strokes getting approach in that time. So ball striking has been unbelievable. He's been inside the top 25 in five of his last eight events. And he was sixth at the Valero Texas Open earlier in the year and third at the Wyndham Championship in the past, but there's been a lot of crossover. So to me, Benny Ann ticks all those boxes. Mm-hmm. If the Texas Open comes to the fore, then great. It is just going to come down to putting, but we've seen Benny Ann win, you know, big events. He, he won Wentworth. Uh, his, putting, his putting was pretty good at the start of the year, and it's sort yeah. of got worse as it's gone on. It, it, it's one of those ones, like, I think 
when your, your your regular part of your game becomes good again, something has to kind of tail off, and it's generally yeah. going to be a bottom with him, right? But he won Wentworth at 21 under par, won by six strokes, and then he won the mm-hmm. Suncoast Classic on the on the Corn Ferry at 17 under. He's been lost in the playoff at Memorial. Like this is a player that we know is capable of contending. So uh, Benny Ann for me, I just think there's still slightly enough value in whether he can find a putter or not. And that is such a massive bonus here as well. And he packs such a punch off the tee. Yeah. So, he's so like he's legitimately one of the best uh, off the tee players in the game right now. Um, yeah. And, and that's going to be really important at this golf club. So uh, yeah, like it. Baz, we'll come to you for back-to-back picks here uh, in Aaron Ryan's Sepp Strecker. Yeah, Aaron Ryan was one that I actually really did like um, when I was looking at the numbers behind his recent form. I mean, 24th, 3rd, 12th in his last four starts, uh, probably the most um, memorable, or maybe not, uh, based on what I'm about to say, is that, you know, in Canada, uh, tied third finish, but sort of was lost in the whole Tommy Taylor yeah. playoff drama and when actually if you remove that for a second he, he had a really strong finish and, and he played really well um he's we know he's an incredibly accurate um player uh I think he ranks first for driving accuracy um in the field uh, over the last 12 months um and and his, his general play tee to green um we know he's a fantastic ball striker uh, T12 at the Charles Schwab. Uh, he's just a player for me at that price. So I think he's been trying on the PGA Tour for a little while and he's getting close. And I think that this might be the type of event where there's a slightly maybe weaker field where he could maybe get over the line because we've seen how well he can play on the European Tour for, for a long while. And, you know, it's only a matter of time before he takes it over and, and wins um, in America as well. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think I think with, uh, with Rye, like his, his off the tee game has been great. It's He's doing it differently because it's not distance based, but I don't think it really matters. I think you can contend here with with the short hitting. I don't think that's a massive deal. The the putting generally is pretty good, so I really like Aaron Rye. I think he's a, he's a massive improver. I think like Brad, we spoke about Rye with like him and Bezuin and how kind of getting put in the same bucket of people that yeah, have, yeah. you know stepped up. And I I think Rye is the better. I player. think Rye is a much better player than Bezuin. Yeah, personally, I think he's yeah. got a higher ceiling. I completely agree. Um, and then the next pick for you, Baz, Sepp Stracker. Yeah, uh, Sepp Stracker, not done so well in his last couple of starts here. Um, I think he's missed the cut on both, actually. But then previously to that, eighth and 11th, um, he's one of those players who, whenever I'm watching the PGA Tour, he just pops up on the leaderboard and I think, oh, Sepp Stracker's there again. I, I need to keep an eye on what he's doing. And then I'll forget and then I'll come back and he'll pop up again. And, you know, we know that he's got the capability to win. Um, he, he's got some interesting form um, on similar style courses. He's had some decent finishes recently. Seventh place, uh, five starts to go. 16th, 29th, 38th. He's, he's you know only missed one cut in his last five. Um, and again, when we're looking at this sort of price, I think you have to you have to accept that there's an element of risk that he might turn up and shoot seven over in the first round and and blow it for you straight away. But at the same time, I think again similar rationale to to Rye really. He's probably not as accurate, but he's an accurate driver of the ball. 28th for driving accuracy in the field. His, his strokes gained approach is OK, 21st. Um, this, again, is another sort of feel one for me. And, and um, I've been telling myself for a while that Sepp Stracker is sort of lingering around in the background on the PGA Tour. And, and actually, this might be the perfect event for him to sort of step into the limelight and, and maybe get another win. Another player that was being spoken about for the Ryder Cup, right? Like yeah. low key at the start of the year. And I think, Brad, he kind of... 
he sort didn't sort of know Favors, did he, when he came, yeah. Yeah. That, when that he came over? Yeah, he didn't really do it himself, any Favors competing. What was it? Obviously, it's desert golf um, in the Middle East. It's not something he's used to. It takes a little while to adapt. Um, but yeah, he did himself no favours. But I actually really like Sepp Stracker this week. And it's not someone who made my shortlist, but it's someone that I've looked at afterwards and felt, I don't know why I didn't consider him more. Like, I actually think he's a great bet this week. Yeah, no, I agree. They're definitely in that same bucket. Um, one player that I did originally do that with, um, and now I'm going to rectify and pick them, Chris Kirk. I just, when you look at this range of 60, 70, 80 to 1, whatever, you know, you're being asked to take, I know we're all excited about Louis David, I'm going to understand he's 40 to 1, Cam Davis 33 to 1, previous course when they get it, um, Austin Eckroke 40 to 1, completely understand, smallly 50. I get why these players are in this range, but when it comes down to the complete fact of who do we know can win golf tournaments, Chris Kirk is, is up there. He's, he's a, you know, what is he, a five, six time winner on the on the PGA Tour in his career. Um, absolutely just, you know, a five time winner after winning the, the Honda Classic in 2023. It's just like an absolute machine. And, you know, he had those sort of off-course issues and they, you know, did affect his game. There's no doubt about it. But when you look at his last three starts this event, or his three starts in this event that he's played, he was 21st on his debut. He shot 65 in the second round to be the 36-hole leader. Uh, he was third at the halfway mark in uh, 2021, uh, finished 12th. And then last year, he was 17th. I just I just love that. He was inside the top 10 again going into the final round there. I love mm that kind of course form here he has missed his last three cuts and that's obviously concerning i'd like to see him play well at colonial but memorial and us open don't really affect me as kind of missed cuts i don't mm-hmm. particularly see him playing pretty, pretty well there um the pj championship 29th was a bit of a bonus i thought he started the world's fargo off nicely seventh after round one 20th after round two there's no doubting that he has gone slightly off the boil since um his win one yeah but he was 10th at the Texas Open and he's lived in the top 10 at the Texas Open. He was fourth going into the final round there. So he has contended since that win. Mm-hmm. Um, he has won the Knoxville Open on the on the Corn Ferry Tour, which for some reason, if you look at all of the different, look at every single person that's played well. I need to look at this. Go at the Knoxville Open. It's, it's utterly ridiculous. I don't, I mean, I, I do now know why that it's because it is. How did you even stumble uh, across this? So this was a shout out to Steve Rawlings, who I saw it first. He found it, um, okay. he points out on Betfair, it was a Donald Ross course. And then me and Dave Tindall spoke about it on the tips this morning. Um, but you look at the winners there. Chris Kirk has won there. We just, I've just been talking about his um, mm-hmm. form on this golf course. JJ Spawn's won there. Great form in this golf course. Steven Yeager's won there, fifth at this golf course. He's also got a second at the event. Um, honestly, like every single time I was trying to find a link between the Texas Open and the Rocket Mortgage, you go on OWGR and the, the Knoxville opens there for everyone. So it might not be wins and seconds, but you might have to do a little bit of digging. But there is some, there is definitely some correlation with the Knoxville Open. So I love the fact that he was first and second there. I love the fact that he's been a good player at the Wyndham in the past. Um, everything about Chris Kirk, I just think he's, I still think he's underrated. And I know that seems maybe a bit weird considering he does get his... Um, guess flowers in the end like he's been good but i just yeah like this is a player that's been 16th in the world he's 43rd in the world now and he's kind of out 60 70 to 1 in this event um so all over chris kirk 60 to 1 eight places for me back-to-back picks for you now brad uh you're gonna do you're gonna do the long talking here 
with, with Sam Stevens and Brandon Wu. Yep. So if this turns into a birdie fest and putting test as it has done in previous years, then I think having someone like Brandon Wu on my betting card makes a lot of sense. Like this guy just makes a lot of birdies in abundance. Um, he's 24th for birdies this year. He also has weeks where he spikes with the flat sticks, um, fourth in strokes game putting at the Canadian Open, uh, where he finished ninth, Mexico Open, ranked first in putting, finished third. Um, he ranked fifth in putting at the players, finished 19th. So he does have them uh, putting weeks, which is needed on a week like this. Um, so that's encouraging. And last week at the Travellers, he missed the cut, but he hit the ball really well. He, he, he gained over 1.7 strokes, tee to green. On this occasion, his short game did let him down, um, but that doesn't really bother me because, as I said earlier, he can have these spikes, um, but he hasn't been able to step up in the elevated events, um, which I found interesting. But his form outside of them has been incredibly solid. Ninth at the Canadian Open, 13th at the Byron Nelson and third at the Mexico Open. Uh, possibly the pressure is off a little bit, but yeah, that that certainly catches my eye. Like his, his last three non-elevated events, really good form. Um, he finished 30th on his debut here last year, closed around a 67, which was his best round of the week, which is what you like to see. Um, and course form, um, it hasn't been that significant here over the years. We've got Finau and Davis winning off a poor record um but either way it's always encouraging to see uh the player you want to back have some decent rounds uh, and have a decent record of course uh, but yeah looks to me brandon was a very rounded player like he doesn't really excel in anything particular i just think the course might suit um and if he gets hot with the power i reckon he will be a danger yeah i think interesting you mentioned there about course form has not really been a factor and i and I get that because Finau's one off a 53rd, Davis is one off for a missed cut. So the, the, to, to winners themselves, Nate Lashley obviously the won winners, the first yeah. renewal. Like it hasn't mattered for winners. But like if you look at, bearing in mind it's only been an event for four years. You had Troy Merritt eighth, second, fourteenth. You've had uh, Sepp Strack at the Bezos. So you just talked about eleventh and eighth before he's kind of two missed cuts. You've had people like Chris Kirk, I just mentioned, have like really strong events here. JJ Spawn's been you know, pretty solid here, never been outside of 30 seconds. So I think what you get here is that because it's so volatile, because it's a birdie fest, because you need to make so many parts, you're going to get different winners that may not potentially, mm-hmm. you know, contended the year before or whatever. But I think the same type of players are still turning up year on year. And it's not necessarily these bombers that we're kind of necessarily profiling at the top of the show. Yeah, I, I think, as I said, like, it's it's... It's not the build that we're not trying yeah. to get at. It's like you can get someone to show up um, and who's just playing really well and who's just hot that week. Um, but, yeah, it's always nice to see. I mean, like, it's, of course, it is an added bonus. Um, but, yeah, ideally, I want to see a, a player I'm backing this week coming into it playing pretty well, Yeah, uh, I think, more importantly. Um, but, yeah, moving on to Sam Stevens. And, uh, yeah, as most of you know by now, I don't need much of a push and a shove when it comes to, to betting him. Um, I'm absolutely massive on the guy. Um, he had a really good month um, uh, from early March to April where he contended to win on three occasions. I mean, albeit some of the, the, the lesser events like the Puerto Rico Open and the Corrales, but the one that you've mentioned many a times, uh, the Texas Open, yeah. where he finished second, had a really good chance to win there. But yeah, it's been since that spell, it's been a bit hit and miss 
Um, lots of cuts made, but hasn't finished better than 29th in nine starts. Uh, so the wheels have come off a little bit, but um, last week at the Travellers, he got off to a slow start, then five back, we were around a 66 to miss the cut by two. He gained over 2.2 uh, strokes, tee to green, hit 30 out of 36 greens, um, but had an absolute stinker on them. So I think there's plenty of positives um, to take into this week. And with driving distance being a massive bonus here, I can see Stevens taking a liking to this course. Um, he ranks 25th in driving distance, and with there not being any penalty or much penalty off the tree, off the tee, sorry, I, I expect Stevens to be pulling the driver most holes and taking advantage. And yeah, I was already sold on Stevens before you mentioned the Texas Open link to me yesterday, Tom. <laughs> um, but yeah, he finished second in that event back in April. And that only adds to my confidence that he's he's in for a good week. Yeah, so I can't figure out this Texas Open thing, whether it is a their similar field strengths at times, they're just similar lengths, whether it's driver heavy, whatever it is. But there is just an undeniable link. Like I, I labelled out all of the players on the drafting show yesterday. And I, I, for the life of me, can't remember all of them. But like there was just players like Stewart and, and you know, Patrick Reed's done it a couple of times at both. And, you know, mm. The Snedeker's done it. Like there's just been enough crossover. Even the slightly lesser players I mentioned earlier when I when I brought it up, Matt Wallace has been really good here and at the Texas Open. Like I, I think it is worth mentioning Charlie Hoffman as well. So and then the all important thing, Brad, is that uh, Sam Stevens was 24. Oh, tied 24 for the Knoxville Open. I just saw that. That's so <laughs> funny you mentioned that. <laughs> uh, you know, he had one one round of 70 on the Saturday when he actually could have been inside the top 10. So uh, yeah, maybe again. Important. Maybe it's the Knoxville Open and the Texas Open that really lead us to a winner this week and we can circumvent it. Someone laughed at me last week about the Travellers Championship and the Scottish Open. Go back and look at the Travellers Championship from last week and the Scottish Open. And Smalley. There was Smalley, Cadbury, was there. Like, he played well in the second round. Like there, There's definitely yeah. a link there. Um, these things aren't a nonsense. Baz has brought up uh, Thailand and Italy for... British Masters, we've yeah, brought out for this. I, I think sometimes we know it and the players don't, which is really funny. And sometimes I want to scream at an agent, like, get your mate down to, you know, this course because they're going to play well. But, um, yeah. you know, who am I? Um, I, I just it's very it. inconsiderate of them when they prove it's wrong. Yeah, it is. Yeah, when 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 uh, my players missed the cut this week, and it's because I've linked them all to the Texas Open, um, I'm going to have to probably write a public apology to people. But, um, you know, You've got to take a stance, and if it's wrong, it's wrong, isn't it? Um, final pick based on this uh, Texas Open. It's the last time people will hear me say it. Uh, Lee Hodges. I already like Lee Hodges anyway. Uh, I backed him not so long ago. I think it was at Canadian Open based on his memorial for uh, memorial effort. But he was tied sixth at the Texas Open, which is actually his second best effort on tour. He was also 14th at TPC San Antonio on the Corn Ferry Tour. He's just playing really well. Like he's made eight of his last eleven cuts. I think he's found a bit of a flaw. Before he was one of these players that kind of flashed here, there, and everywhere, but never really had any substance to his game. But interestingly, I was quite impressed by the fact that he was third in that Amex uh, event as well. Just another birdie fest. No, I, I can't link it to that golf course. I'm not going to try and do that. But like, I just think the style of event suits him. Going low, just firing at pins. Uh, plays into his mind so the fact he had that Texas Open form was great I haven't actually looked to see whether he's 
you know, played well at Knoxville Open, but I'm sure he probably has because everyone else has. Uh, maybe just everyone plays well at the Knoxville Open. It doesn't really matter. Um, but the ultimate thing that really got me in the end, other than the fact he's playing well in good current form, 36 holes last year, he was in third place and within three of the lead. And he just shot a 77 on Saturday. And I just I just think if he finds himself in that same position this time around, like three shots behind, yeah. it'll be slightly different. It's just he's a year on from it. He's got a certain amount of status. He's obviously chasing kind of top 100 and things like that. But there's something about Lee Hodges that just strikes me as someone that, that is improving. And mm-hmm. I actually think he can win a golf tournament. And 100%, when he yeah. starts to think that, that, that's important. Like I just look and, you know, uh, 18th at Riviera, 14th at the Honda, 6th at the Valero, 12th at Memorial, 25th at the Canadian Open. A lot of good off the tee and iron play in recent weeks. The putter is not great. So again, I've backed probably three or four players that, that are struggling with the putter, but it is what it is. It, and interestingly, he was the one, so I had Mark Hubbard in my Odds Checker article earlier in the week, and I was really excited about him too. But when I when I compared the two, who do I think you know potentially win this i think hodges is the one um i think hubbard's been around long enough to know that winning's hard for him um but i do like hubbard as well like with that said mm-hmm. like, there is some some sort of um liking there to, to mark hubbard but uh, i think that was it i think that was really it. like i didn't want like ches Reeve could play well again kevin Hughes got this great um ability yeah, of the team yeah, uh, he's obviously back healthy, I think. Uh, Brendan mm-hmm. Todd, I think, always look at when he's kind of 100 to 1 in a, a weaker field. And then I'm just really intrigued to see what these kind of Sam Bennett types, Davis Thompsons, what they're going to do. Gordon um, Sargent, yeah. Gordon Sargent. I think Will Gordon as well, like someone that is being forgotten about because there's another, another new breed of players coming through. I think all of these can kind of have an effect i couldn't find this 400 to 1 chat that that may come to fruition this week um i'm not going to try if you're 400 to 1 in the rock well, which probably... was probably the closest i had to bet yeah someone but, I, he had but a I, good second yeah round. so this is this i wanted to bet troy merit and i wanted him to be 400 to 1 i've got this figure in my yeah. head that i wanted a 400 to 1 shot after last week right and troy merit has missed 14 of 15 cuts in 2023 He's only made two cuts. He finished like 60th at Sony Open, and the other one was when his partner dragged around his soulless body. Um, and he's still only 251. And it's that that makes me think actually he's probably got a bit of a chance. The eighth, second, and 14th at this golf course in three starts, obviously losing in a playoff. And he was just seventh in both rounds one and two in approach last week at the Travellers. And maybe that's just enough to. To kind of bring him to the fore again, another one, Valero Texas Open fourth, um, probably you know finished third in the Knoxville Open in 1996 or something like it. There, there's just yeah. something about Troy Merritt, but I was just really surprised that he was still only 251 based on all those. Had, he actually hit the ball really well to Green in the second round. I think he gained. Let me just get up at the data golf. Oh, two point two. Uh, no, 1.8 strokes in his second round tee to green yeah like unbelievable in his second round and so it's pretty decent and as obviously his odds he did open 350s with unibet unibet that didn't last long yeah um, you'd want the places on him as well but yeah his record here and the fact he's missed so many cuts and his putter is seriously seriously cold at the moment yeah. it would be something but you know what i think he's not a 
he should be probably more close to 150 to 1125 based on his record here and what he showed in the second round interesting uh, yeah so so maybe he's 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 a goer there it's just i don't know it's just one of those ones where like i don't believe that troy Merrick probably top, the best yeah, top of 40 top 40 yeah. would be the way to go well, you were saying earlier on, Tom, weren't you, that you spent all day looking at the Rocket Mortgage Classic and, and couldn't yeah. work out it's sort of head or tail of him. And may, maybe that's the answer. Maybe maybe yeah. we need to scroll a bit further down the list and, and actually <laughs> the winner's going to come from miles away this week. I mean, it just absolutely well, could. But it's like, I just, I just, it's one of those ones, you look at the recent winners and you think you've got to have someone at the top and that's why we've got the Metsiamas and the Homers that we've got. I just think like you, you had like Levy Odas in contention here. He's played well at the Texas Open that I like. You've had Jimmy Walker saying that he's playing some of the best golf that he's played in recent months and things yeah. are coming good at some point. I love it when people say that on Instagram. I buy in so much to that sort of stuff and then they miss the cut. I was actually intrigued by Charlie Hoffman. Like I thought he, he played pretty well through two rounds at the US Open and he's played, finished 10th here last year, owns the Texas Open. So if there's anything to that Texas Open thing, then absolutely, then... Charlie Hoffman maybe the one at 312 with eight places. Um, but when you start getting into 46-year-old Charlie Hoffman's to win a golf tournament, um, it's probably time to call it a night. Uh, I made a bit of a tongue-in-cheek comment earlier on yeah. on our little group about uh, about Ludwig Aberg and just say you know it, maybe yeah. that's the maybe that's the uh, the real reason Luke Donald's head over to the Rocket Mortgage <laughs> this week. But do you know what? Actually, now the more and more I look at his uh, his figures and his amateur's career, you know. He could oh. quite easily go out and win that this weekend and, and put himself right in contention for a, a, a late spot on a wild card. I think completely I think, agree, Baz. Yeah. The only thing with that, we were having this discussion on the um, DPO Tour Picks and Bet show last night on the Media Network, and like he hasn't got a card for the DPO Tour, so he would have to. I'm guessing they're going to figure it out that they're going to give him starts towards the qualification time like he'll probably play like the scottish and wentworth and irish open yeah. or whatever and and if he plays well enough he'll get his card and then he'll just get on the team that way but i don't think he could actually currently as it stands be picked but he's in you, the ian poulter and uh Sergio yeah. Garcia, the westwood camp at that's the what i mean like <laughs> it, like with all these things going on as you reported at the start of the show as all the merge and things like that maybe this just all goes out the window and um it's a free-for-all and pick anyone. So I, I certainly think if, if Aberg wins this week and starts knocking down the door, Luke Donald will be knocking down a tour of the DP World Tour offices asking for him to either just be given a ceremonial card just to play in the Ryder Cup or... Um, just get just some exemptions. And, yeah, just to scrap the rule. Like, like I think at some point they just want to win the the, uh, the event itself. So um, I think that's certainly something to keep an eye on. Like, I think it's one that mm. we want to know what can happen because there's we we sort of discussed the merits of him being picked and keeping an arm if he can be picked we don't even know if he's allowed to so i'd be really interested maybe if someone can fire luke donald a, a tweet and uh just persistently asking whether uh louis can be picked and then we'll find out i imagine just because there's been talk about it that there's probably just some sort of loophole that we're missing that he can't just be picked mm. um but yeah probably just worth flagging uh maybe a discussion for another day on that Tom, i've seen yes. that that market's been taken down to uh to make the Ryder cup team at least i can't find it anyway on the on yeah they, they keep taking that down so like every time i, I look to, to do it they, they kind of like frequently like updated take it down updated so right. uh, yeah just always keep an eye on it but keep an eye on, yeah. I, I don't know i don't know who the targets would be now i guess it would be the kind of jordan smiths and the 
um, maybe an Aberg or someone like that. But mm-hmm. I mean, I was I was really happy with my Olison pick until he decided to to not be any good anymore, um, or just everyone just played a little <laughs> until bit until he wins this week. <laughs> until he wins this week, yeah, of course. So um, yeah, I think that's probably it. Unless Baz, you've got anything more to say on the Rocket Mortgage Classic? No, that's uh, that's the lot from me for that one. Excellent. We've got we've we've exhausted I think just about as much as we can talk about with these two events. Um, I am losing my voice, so I am going to summarise my picks and then I'll come to you both uh, on yours as well. So I'll do both tournaments from the start for me and then we'll go in order that way. Uh, so I've got in the British Masters, I've got Adrian Moronk at fourteen to one. I've got Richie Ramsey at fifty to one with the seven places. Matthew Jordan at what is he now? He's 80 to one, I think he is. Um, with the how many places have we got in Matthew Jordan? Uh, why can't I find him? God, my eyes are bad. 80 to one with seven places, Matthew Jordan, and then Justin Walters uh, is 100 to one with seven places. That is my team at the British Masters. And then for the Rocket Mortgage, I'm going with Hideki Matsuyama. Uh, at the top of the market, I think the best price you can get on him now is 18 to 1 with Bet365. Um, I'm happy just to take less places if you need to because I think he's going to win. Chris Kirk at 60 to 1 with eight places. Uh, Benny Ann at 50 to 1, eight places. Lee Hodges uh, at 90 to 1. Uh, I think that's eight places as well. So they are my picks for the Rocket Mortgage. Brad, I'll come to you for your three picks in each. Okie dokie. Uh, I've gone for Jordan Smith, British Masters. Uh, Jordan Smith, 18 to 1, eight places. Uh, Bet365, each way extra. Um, the, the next two are also going to be Bet365, each way extra. I've gone Callum Hill, 50 to 1, eight places. And Guido Migliozzi, 66 to 1, eight places. Um, and then for the Rocket Mortgage, I've gone for Hideki Matsuyama, 18 to 1. That's bet 365 each way, extra eight places. Um, and then Brandon Wu, 80 to 1. Paddy Power, eight places. And Sam Stevens, whose price has come in a lot. You can get 80 to 1, 10 places with Labricks, and you might even have a boost available. You can get that to 90 to 1. Nice. Excellent. Baz, your picks in both events. Sorry, please, mate. Yeah, I've gone uh, Yannick Paul in the British Masters, 40 to 1. Uh, bet 365. Um, Nicholas Norgard. Um, which I'm just trying to find his price for now at 50 to 1, um, yep. also Bet365, and uh, Max Kiefer uh, 45 to 1, Bet365 for the British Masters. And then for the Rocket Mortgage Classic, I've gone for my old favourite Max Homer, uh, 18 to 1. Um, I've gone for uh, Aaron Rye, 50 to 1, and Sepp Stracker, 60 to 1. Uh, I've taken Max Homer on the nose, Aaron Rye, and Sepp Stracker each way. Excellent. Yeah, I think actually Norgard, you can get sort of 75 to 1 about him if, if you shop around. So um, if, if you wanted to look at some of the different place markets, uh, Norgard Monarch 75 to 1 is there as home as well. Um, Baz, thank you very much for making your Lost Words debut. Obviously, I've been uh, a guest on your podcast and we, we've had many a chats and, and you and Brad kind of follow each other. But this is the first time that we've had the three of us kind of have a discussion on the golf and really enjoyed having you on. So uh, thanks for joining us. Mm. Yeah, no problem at all. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Good. And then, Brad, thank you as ever. Uh, glad that you're back from Kenya and joining us to talk golf picks again. Uh, we've got a really good stretch of golf now until the Open Championship. We do, yeah. Um, re- you know, really important time. Ryder Cup implications, as we discussed at length in this show. Uh, you know, just looking for the players that are in form before we get to Hoylake. So, uh, Scottish Open is always an event I love. Maiden Himalayan mm-hmm. is there. 
John Deere Classic next week on the PGA Tour. There's certainly just events to, to get excited about and, and tune in for. So, gents, thank you as ever for joining me. And I look forward to our bets all coming together this week. Thank you.